Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. And he's Professor of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He's Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance, and this week it's blood. Which is all about the world of vendettas and institutionalised violence, as well as the story of the female life cycle. Well, for me, it's all about the colour of blood and the definition of hidden histories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected at unexpected podcast that's spelt p-d-c-s-t we're proud to be part of the excellent history hit network home of dan snow's history hit and other great shows coming soon and you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months you can see show notes video clips photos of everything we discuss and much much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 26 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the boot, the pen, or one we've just come up with, glue. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the mirror is actually all about the Aztecs. Mm. Did you know that? Mm, no. No. <laughs> or that the history of monsters is all about female rule. Think John Knox and the monstrous regiment of women. I don't even know who John Knox uh, and his monstrous... I, I, will, I will tell you all about it in coming weeks. <laughs> oh, I can't think that. The man sitting opposite me is the colander of calendars. It's Professor James Daywell. And the man sitting opposite me is the father figure of the fact. It is Dr Sam Willis. Have you ever been called a colander before? I've never, never been called a colander or a sieve. <laughs> you did. I've never, never been you took, called that. You took no. that quite well. Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead and this week it's James's turn. OK, I've got something of a test for us this mm. week. I'm going to suggest that we do three. Not all at once, but that we do three 
thematic ones. Inspired by the Olympics mm. uh, this summer, I was... Pole vault, long jump and discus. Are we doing no, that? No, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> Blood, sweat and tears. Blood, sweat and tears. This came to me when I was away on holiday. I was relaxing. I was sitting in a deck chair and thinking about the Olympics and thought, what better for unexpected... Uh, than blood, sweat and tears. A famous quote by Churchill as well, the blood, sweat and tears quote. Okay, so we're going to start with blood. We're going to start with blood. So if we take blood, how do we start thinking about the history of blood? Well, do you know what? I mean, out of all of the various books I've written, one of them was simply awash with blood. And I immediately think of the French Revolution when Mm. I think of blood. Guillotine. Guillotines and the Reign of Terror. I wrote a book called The Glorious First of June, and it was about a sea battle right at the beginning of the Reign of Terror, very early on in the French Revolution. Mm. And the streets were awash with blood, um, Robespierre in charge, and they painted their ships red for the the blood of the revolution, for the blood of the aristocrats that died to kind of inspire the sailors to Mm. fight. Um, Meanwhile, the British sailors had painted their decks of their warships red as well, I think, to hide all the blood. So the, the whole thing was completely awash with blood. So from my maritime naval military history side of things i'm thinking wounds i'm thinking surgery and battle those are the things that sort of initially came to mind and i deliberately moved away from that sort of as quickly as possible so you're thinking sort of blood guts and gore yeah that's what what first came to me i mean i'm thinking the sort of counterpoint to that because that's a very male world the counterpoint of that is menstruation Mm -hmm. so the history of you know the female life cycle monthly cycle, postpartum bleeding, menopausal bleeding, all of that sort of thing. Later on, I want to talk a little bit about a very, very interesting history that's been done about women's bodies and medical understandings of women's bodies in the past. And what about the kind of the cultural reaction to that and the understanding? Absolutely. So how people, in a sense, had a fear of blood, you know, a fear of blood that it it was polluted, that it was unclean. And we can see this across time. Um, So it's, it's fascinating. But we can also think about... You know, about, Are you good with blood? Does it make you feel queasy? I am dreadful yeah. with... I am dreadful I'm OK. It makes blood. my dad, like, faint. I am terrible with blood. I, mean, I could have never been a doctor. I, I was actually good at maths and science at school, but my fear of blood <laughs> meant that I was never... <laughs> I, he I, quickly I, defends his academic I, status. I was, I, 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 was, I was very I was, good at maths I was and science. Born, I, was born, <laughs> I was born a historian. Okay. So, you know, we can think about this in medical terms, you know, and about the people understanding how blood works, you know, the first blood transfusion, that sort of thing. So yeah. so understanding... And that's all to do with blood groups, isn't it? Blood, and, and yeah. The science yeah. of understanding what's yeah. going on, it being the most important, the life giver of the body, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, the life giver of the body, which contrasts with what you're talking about, which is the loss of blood, which is about the lack of life, the yeah. loss of life. Seeing it seep out. I mean, we can also think about it in its sort of cultural and religious terms, you know, different cultures in the past and the way that they've used and understood blood in certain ways. Aboriginal cultural tradition, for example, had, you know, two opponents who would basically take the blood out of each other's veins and smear no. it. Smear it over themselves as part of a sort of ritual. I thought you were going to say male, a bloodletting competition. We're to well, see who could with, well, withdraw the most amount of blood before leeches. 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 We haven't gone. talked yet about leeches. No. Well, I mean, I've always found that quite extraordinary, leeches, and that this whole kind of sense of wanting to bleed someone, and how anyone could have possibly thought that was a good idea. Do we know what the origin of that is? But it's about purging. It's all about sort of releasing things from the system so that you get a sort of proper humoral balance. But okay, let's move on. And I've got a picture to show you here. Now, this takes us in a completely 
different direction with blood. Right. What have we got here in front of us? That is an enormous roll. It uh, looks like some kind of family tree. So it's, I don't know, what, two feet wide. It's unrolled on an enormously long, narrow, rectangular table. So it's some kind of lineage, some kind of formal lineage. There are coats of arms all along it. So I'd say that was something to do with some kind of aristocracy. It's proof it proof of who it they is. are. Who is he? Just down the road okay. from us here is Powderham Castle. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing a little bit of work with the castle in the muniments rooms with the manuscripts. And I went along one day, and this lady here in the picture is the wonderful archivist, Felicity, who brought out this family tree, this family pedigree, which is absolutely incredible. This must be, oh, we're looking at maybe almost 10 metres long. Yeah. I mean, absolutely extraordinary document produced in 1640. And it records the descent of the Courtney family line from about the year 1000. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. From sort of French origins. And it's absolutely incredible. And as you can see, and, and that, it's that's highly decorated. It highly, is. Highly painted. What you can't see is, if you did a close-up on here, what you've got is where people have been married. You've actually got them holding hands. Oh, right. They've <laughs> painted hands between the different shields here. That's but great. They trace themselves back to Athon, the first <laughs> Lord of Courtney. Mm. But The point about this is why is it being produced? Why do families go to so much trouble recording this kind of genealogical information? And it is because of the importance of bloodline. Mm, So it is about inheritance. It is about lineage. It is about passing on from one generation to the next. And you mentioned your book earlier on (laughs) uh, about blood. I'm currently writing several books, uh, but one of which is about the history of the family. Mm. It's called The History of the Family and Materials of Memory. And it's from about 1500 to about 1800. And what I'm looking at is the impulse to actually record your family history and using a whole range of material, including these pedigrees. And there are hundreds of these that it, survive. It must be a significant legal requirement as much it's as anything else. They, they desperately yeah. need to yeah. prove yeah. who they are. Yeah. They prove who they are not only in terms of land and law, but also in terms of heraldry. So, yeah. you, you know, you mock this up so that you can prove that you are of, of noble or gentle descent. I think people in the past had a greater capacity, this might be a massive generalisation, but I think it's true, to appreciate their lineage and to understand how one was related to another. I come from quite a small family, but I think, you know, take something like The Wars of the Roses, and um, you have all those wonderful historical novels, they've always got the family trees in the front, and whenever I read one of those, I'm constantly having to go back and work out who on earth is who. And I sense that when it came to these kind of big issues of lineage, uh, certainly amongst royalty, amongst aristocracy, everyone was so keenly aware of it. And I wonder if that's a a knowledge about oneself that has been lost, or, or an interest. It was so important to them all the time. They must have had lessons in it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the one thing that I'd say against that, I'm not disagreeing with you, perish the thought, but you think about any record office nowadays in the land and it is full of people tracing their family history. But they're doing it in a very different way. As you rightly say, it's connected to land, it's about inheritance. And the sort of modern day obsession with genealogy is about tracing your roots. It's about tracing your bloodline and it's about situating yourself in this kind of personal historical continuum. Yeah, well, I wonder whether the thing that's been lost, I mean, in the past, they knew it. 
Yeah. It had yeah. been passed down to them. It's yeah. really yeah, important yeah, knowledge. As you yeah, were yeah, up, you are related to these absolutely. people. I've got no idea who absolutely. I'm related to at all. Apart from, I know that one side of the family is naval, one side of the family is army. We come from a pretty military right. background. Right. Yeah, and no, I think it was something that was passed down to you yeah. as valuable yeah, 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 yeah. knowledge, which you will not forget, and you will pass it on to your children, and absolutely. they will not forget absolutely. it. Absolutely. And a document like this would have been transferred down the line along with various goods. We can trace our own family tree. One of my daybells are also related to the Tyrrells. Are they? Um, Walter Tyrrell, famous regicide. Yes, yes, who, yes. Who shot William Rufus, <laughs> is allegedly uh, <laughs> a, a long-distant ancestor of mine. Fancy that. I'm related to a king killer. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, I'm going to... Where ex- are you going to go with well, blood? In a sort of similar direction, I'm going to do a little knowledge experiment on you. Oh, <laughs> I set exams. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't take them. Professor Daybell, yeah. here are your questions. We can't look at that. Those are okay. the answers. Okay. Cheating. He's looking at my computer. Sorry. What colour is the blood of a beetle? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I'm just going to make this up. It's pink. No, it's not. It's yellow. It's what colour is the blood of a worm or a leech? Ah, uh, black, green. Green. What colour is the blood of some marine worms? Blue. A bit vague. Purple. Purple. I was going to say purple. Uh, you've got two girls, so you'll know this one. Unicorns. Uh, ooh, pink. Silver. 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 Oh, oh my God. God. Sorry, I'm useless. I fail. And, Sorry. Okay, so the final question. Uh, what what colour is the blood of North European royalty? Blue, of Yes, course. there we go. <laughs> I'm doing the colour of blood. The colour of blood. Oh, gosh. Which has always interested me. And I think the best Ooh. way of doing this is to look at this painting. This is a very famous painting. And you, being a Tudor historian, will probably know a bit about it. Ah. Uh, I'm basically going to let you do all the work for me. No, 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 no. That, that looks like Elizabeth. It Queen is. Elizabeth. Well done. Queen it's... Elizabeth, standing on a map of Europe, holding a fan. And interestingly, as I I'm obsessed with gloves, as you will have heard in earlier podcasts. Oh, yes. She's holding gloves. She is holding gloves, and she's got a bit of a storm going on on one side of her and the sun shining on her face on the other. So this was painted, we think, sometimes around 1590. Yep. As I understand it. So she was getting on a bit. She's she's ageing. She's ageing, but she's still painted with a mask of youth, I think it's been described as. What's really interesting about this painting is if you zoom in, I'm not sure this is quite good enough, but you can see... Uh, The veins. The veins. You can see the veins on her forehead and a little bit on her hands. And certainly there are lots of other copies of this. It's known as the Ditchley portrait. There are lots of other copies of it. And in almost all of them, the veins have been picked out very distinctly on her face and hands. Gosh. And this is all to do with royalty and the sense of having the colour of blood. And the sangre azul, as it was known in Spain, was it was an established thing. It has its own history. The actual kind of the reasoning behind it seems to be debated, but it's, it's very much also linked with this idea of having pale skin, mm. which Elizabeth has. And that's also, with, you know, not having the tan of the working man in the field. Mm. And people wanting to identify themselves with royalty by mimicking it. This is where it becomes really interesting. So, in late 17th and early 18th century France, people would draw blue lines on their hands to mimic this very noticeable blue tinge of the veins of royalty, in the same way that during the French Revolution there was a fashion to cut your hair short so you mm. look like one of the mm. people on the way to the guillotine and wear a red choker to mark the place where you would have your head taken off by the guillotine. So there's a history of royalty and all sorts of interesting explanations of exactly what's going on here. One of them is that... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's something to do with something called Argyria, which is what happens to you when you have silver particles in your body. And one explanation oh, for this more. is to do with royalties and aftershocks, wealthy people eating off silver. And it actually turns your skin a light shade of blue. Ooh. And so some people think that actually the aristocrats and royalty of Northern European courts physically looked slightly bluish more than other people. I'm not sure I believe that. What yeah. do you think? Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely rubbish. But the, yeah. uh, the fact it does make your skin go blue is completely true. So, oh um, yeah, so there is some, some measure of truth to that. But it's all to do, blood for me, it's to do with the cultural construction of beauty. And I think this desire to have pale skin, to have very noticeable blue veins um, mm. in your body, comes under the same, well, she's wearing a corset. There you go. There's another cultural mm. construction mm. of beauty. Yeah. Or, or Chinese foot binding. Yeah. So that's how you get from ah, blood to Chinese foot binding. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, can I take Elizabeth in a sort of different direction? Yeah. And talk about menstruation, which mm-hmm. I mentioned at the beginning. And there has been some wonderful, you know, really serious work done on menstruation and the female body in early modern England. Brilliant new book by Sarah Reed came out a few years ago that looks at the female body, the life cycle. It's concerned with monthly cycle, postpartum bleeding. It's about the menopause. So it's a really complex cultural study of women's sort of biological life cycle. What I think it's getting at is how societies in the past have understood menstruation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, women's sort of regular bleeding. And I think, you know, most people will be aware of the fact that most societies did not understand this in a way that we might today, looking at the sort of, you know, the bouncy Lilettes advert that you have on TV. You know, women were thought to be unclean and polluted. The Bible instructed men not to have sex with women while they were menstruating. Virgins are supposed to bleed when the hymen is ruptured, for example. All these kinds of ideas, women were not allowed into church you know, when they were menstruating. And what I want to just talk a little bit about is about the medical understandings of menstruation throughout the early modern period, which is, you know, a period that I'm interested in. And it's connected in some ways to 
the way in which they saw the body operating. You know, for much of this period, we're talking about a humoral system of sort of a balance and imbalance. So the idea is that in menstruating, women were basically purifying their body of blood, removing the kind of excess blood that they had. The thought was that if you didn't menstruate, basically the blood would go up to your brain and make you crazy. There's a great quote from Sir William Monson's wife who consulted the Elizabethan doctor Simon Foreman in 1597. And he records, much subject to melancholy and full of fancies, she hath not her course and the menstrual blood runneth to her head and she thinks the devil doth tempt her to do evil herself. So it's absolutely extraordinary. There is also fear much earlier on about the properties of menstrual blood. Pliny, for example, described in the second century AD various things about, you know, the harms of menstruating women. He asserted that wine sours if they pass, vines wither, grass dies and buds are blasted. Should a menstruating <laughs> woman sit under a tree, the fruit will fall. <laughs> a looking glass will discolour at a glance and a knife turn blunt. Menstrual blood also had magical effects. Right. It was supposed to, harlots would use it to bewitch lovers. It was used as an ingredient in love potions. I'm dumbstruck by, by this. I think it's the only way to explain it. And, he, and even, even better, menstruation could pose dangers to men during sex. There's an 18th century tract that believed that menstrual blood might excoriate the parts of men by the mere contact. So many people study history trying to find ourselves or visions of ourselves in the past. And whenever you come across stuff like this, you realise how massively different everything is and everything has changed. And, you know, it slightly frustrates me that, you know, people are constantly trying to refer to the past in an attempt to see themselves in a mirror. And yeah. we, sh- we desperately need to stop doing that yeah, yeah, yeah. to help us understand the past. I mean, if you think about it, there are sort of these biological continuities, perhaps. You know, yeah. we could argue that. But in terms of how people understand that, yeah. there are significant differences. And it's a very different kind of story of, of blood from, say, a, a male story that's connected to wounds and war and warfare, and yeah. that, you know, which we started at, at the beginning. Well, it strikes me there are two ways to think about it. You say, is the past a foreign country? Is it an alien place? And you can say, yeah. no, it's not, because in only three or four generations, I was related to someone who was alive in the mid-18th century, yeah. in the early yeah. 18th century. Yeah. Therefore, we are connected, and it really it is not very far away at all. Mm. But when it's when you come across things like this, it makes you realise just how, how wildly different everything is. The, the only real way to be able to understand it is to put everything aside and say... You can assume nothing, yeah, and you yeah. certainly can't impose modern thoughts or assumptions and saying they are, they are somehow corrupted versions of what happened before. That's just not true. No. Experiences, emotions, everything was completely different then. I can actually link to that as well. Look at this chap. Oh isn't, my isn't, isn't he great? <laughs> this looks like somebody in a bizarre yoga position. So what we have here, what looks like an Eastern manuscript maybe, and we've yeah. got a, a man, a, I assume it's a male figure, what looks like a sort of sketch drawing of a figure almost squatting, yeah. and those look like blood vessels, the yes. veins, arteries. This is the earliest Islamic manuscript depicting various aspects of the human Goodness body. Me. Um 1390, and um, that's the first of... Oh, I've got veins here. This is rather good. Oh, they're all in this really strange squatting position, very distinctive. They've, they've got a very conscious expression. Yes, yeah, they're, yeah. they're straining. Yeah, well, they've been cut in half, which is how they've been... Oh. So, no, and this is uh, Mansur's Anatomy, so 1390. Uh, we think that it was dedicated to the grandson of Timur. 
mm. who was a, a very famous violent, uh, violent person. He might have appreciated just how gruesome they are. So there are different images for the bones, nerves, muscles, veins, and the arteries. So the important point about this, this is an early example of trying to understand what's going on mm. and how the mm. body works. But it is an artistic depiction of it. And there is a very distinct difference between this and what I'm going to show you now, uh, which I love. Boom. Oh, goodness me. I don't even know how to start describing. I mean, we, it looks like it's painted on um, wood. That one. Yep. You're going to tell me it's not even painted. These are real. They are. Oh, my God. So we've... Oh, <laughs> right. So we've got what looks like a wooden door... <laughs> and on it, it it's, looks like we've got veins stuck on it. Yes. So, where so did you th find that? This is um, in the Hunterian Museum in London. Which, if you've not been to the Hunterian Museum, you have to go to the Hunterian Museum. It's totally amazing. Um, so here we have drawings of the veins in the arteries of the system from the 14th century in the Islamic tradition. This is 17th century, and that's an actual venous system. And someone has removed the veins from a Goodness body me. and has had put them onto some pine boards for teaching. They were owned by John Evelyn. Ah. Um, he got them in Padua, yeah. um, where there was a very famous operating theatre, the oldest one, so it's mm. um, early 16th century. So it's the rise of anatomy. and It's the yeah. rise of anatomy, but it's actually, it leads us to the trade in human body parts for entertainment and for education. Okay? Ah. This is veins. There are other versions. There are four different tables, actually, all of different things, but each one is staggering. But the big question is, of course, who is it? <laughs> Goodness me. I, where, I, where, I we, have... we don't know. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me. No, I don't know. But what I love about it is that this links beautifully to... They were taking cadavers, they were pulling them apart for educational purposes, they were sticking veins on bits of wood and selling them around the world. Goodness me. Okay? So, John Evelyn got one, he brings it back to London, everyone's dumbstruck. Now, if you go to Las Vegas yep. at the moment, and you go to the Luxor Hotel, you can see a very famous exhibition called Bodies. Have you, do you know about this or not? Tell me. Um, this isn't that the German guy who basically just pumps stuff into people's bodies and plastifies them or no, no um it's a staggering display let me just see if i can find some pictures actually so they've got loads and loads of human bodies physically chopped up we can walk around them and you can have a look at them 15 million people oh, have been to see this okay right? it's, 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 it's one of the most amazing things the problem is is that they don't know where they got the bodies from <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost almost unbelievable and they've had to have a, um, a disclaimer at the beginning of the exhibition. This exhibit displays human remains of Chinese citizens or residents which were originally received by the Chinese Bureau of Police. The Chinese Bureau of Police may receive bodies from Chinese prisons. The, this is the company who runs it. Cannot independently verify that the human remains you are viewing are not those of persons who were incarcerated in Chinese prisons. And they cannot independently verify that they do not belong to persons executed while incarcerated in Chinese prisons. Goodness me. So, they, so this is this sort of almost illegal yeah. trafficking of body parts. Yeah, illegal trafficking of body parts, but millions and millions of people have been to see them. And, um, only in Las Vegas. Only in Las Vegas. And uh, it all traces back to John Evelyn and then through that to uh, the 14th century Islamic philosophers. Goodness Woo! me. Goodness <laughs> me. Do we have time to talk about a couple of yes. blood-related items? I've got two for you. Blood feud. Nice. Which we can hmm. trace all the way from sort of early Germanic society 
as a way of sorting out social problems. So the idea is basically, if I killed your sister, Mm -hmm. you know, you would come back and try and get me, you and your clan would come back and try and you know, take my life. And so, that's a blood feud because you've attacked my family. Because I've attacked your family or I've attacked somebody connected to you. Oh, okay. So it your, doesn't have to, it's not your, a bloodline thing. thing. No, 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 it's not a bloodline thing, but it's basically those who are sort of, you know, connected to you in some way, mm. you know, would, would want vengeance. And you can see that sort of following all the way up to the mafia, the sort of Italian vendetta nowadays. Yeah. What happens also alongside this is you have the development of something called a Wehrgeld in early Germanic society, which is basically a price put on something Mm. so it could be put on say an item that you owned or so you know some sort of property or importantly on somebody's life so you would go around and people would have different valuations on their life so if for example i came along and killed your sister and she was worth (laughs) you know five pounds um i would promptly pay you five pounds Hmm. Um, so th- this idea of blood feud, I think, is yeah, is, that is, is interesting. Great. And the worth of yeah, a human the life. worth of a human life. The other thing, the value of you're, you're going to love this blood relic. Wow, this is a, a Catholic tradition. They would go around collecting samples of blood from martyrs. Right, they bury these often with the bodies of martyrs. And what is extraordinary about this is sometimes the the miracles that have become associated with them, such as the blood miracle of Saint Genarius. You know what happens to blood when it's outside of the body? I'm it, it, it changes colour. It, it changes colour, but it also solidifies. Yeah. The miraculous thing is that basically certain times of the year... Coagulates. It, it coagulates. That's a technical term. <laughs> but it, it liquefies. Okay. That's the miracle, that it almost sort of comes to life again. So the, the Catholic Church is full of these sort of rituals. And there was, there was a... Just trawling through the Guardian website the other day, there was a cloth uh, with a drop of blood from a recent Pope, John Paul II, which was stolen from Cologne cathedral Hmm. so what we've got here i suppose is blood that is associated with an individual an individual who is famed who is a martyr and it becomes a relic and it has this sort of sacred property but but that's not just in the church so i mean you can go to museums and you can see things like uh, nelson's trousers which are covered in not his blood his secretary's blood for example but the public generally uh, find some kind of more valuable historical connection or historical association with the person if there's some Blood, blood, yeah, involved. I, I think it's a natural thing. I don't think yeah. they need to be told. No, this is really important and sacred. They just—it makes a, you it feel. Br- like it brings it alive. It does. I was, yeah. I was in Stockholm recently at the Royal Armouries and was looking at wonderful collections they've got. You know, like the museum you were talking about earlier on. You know, if you haven't been to the Royal Armouries in Stockholm, it is amazing. But they have that a case with Gustavus Adolphus's shirt on the shirt that he he died in with a hole in it mm-hmm. and blood stains yeah. around it. So it really brings it to life. Mm. Fascinating. Well, we've gone everywhere, haven't we? We've gone from unicorn blood... Unicorn blood. ...to menstruation, cultural associations of that, and then we've gone to the illegal traffic in human body parts. Via... Relics, <laughs> yeah, and popes. and blood blood feud and popes, yeah, yes, very good, well done, us, wonderful, <laughs> I've got wonderful. good, good. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone, and don't forget, you are the most important part of this podcast. We are not important at all; it's you. So please get in touch with us. Tell us your thoughts about the history of blood. Anything that we've missed out on, we'd love to know. And that's it for now. We'll see you soon. Bye. Goodbye. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi. 